Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. So again, we're in Joshua 20. The Israelites had come in the land and they took over and kicked out the enemies. God put curse on the enemies to, to be submissive to Israel when they showed up because of something that happened that went down in Noah's time. That whole line, all the Canaanites got cursed. So the Israelites come in and they're using that curse to make it easy to take over. They didn't have to build cities when they got there. They didn't have to plant vineyards when they got there. They didn't have to make all these systems and things when they got there because other people lived there. And the curse came in through Israel. Israel. They destroyed and knocked a bunch of them out. And so now they don't have to build all this stuff. They don't have to plant vineyards. And the nice thing about that is when God calls you to go somewhere and you look at it and you go, how am I supposed to get there and do this? God, I can't do all that. He may have had somebody else preset it for you to just come in and take it. So that's a good thing that God does. He may have somebody, even an unbeliever, can establish great things in their pride and all their money and all their things. And you're over here getting a call from God going, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. God's like, I already took care of that. Just go get it. (laughs) That's great. So they're in the land and they've been dividing the land out by lot so that man's bias can't get in the way. They're, they, they're, they're casting lots to determine which tribe ends up where. And so the lots have all been cast. The tribes have all been put in their place. And now Joshua had gotten his uh, part of his inheritance of the land, and he was the last guy to take his inheritance, which was great. He wasn't standing in line first. He was last. And that's like Jesus Christ. He came to serve. He came to place himself last, to bring himself low, all the way to the point of death on the cross. And Joshua is a picture of Jesus. As a matter of fact, Yeshua is Jesus in Hebrew. Joshua's name in Hebrew is Yehoshua. So we have a great picture of Jesus in Yehoshua, Joshua. And I just wanted to say before I go into this, like I've told you all before, one of my top fears is public speaking. April Fool's Day tomorrow is the day that I entered into full-time ministry. I left my year, my career in radio to go into full-time ministry. And what a perfect day to go into full-time ministry. April Fool's Day, the fool who can't talk, okay? The fool who messed up. The guy that sinned and messed up hugely. And all my old friends can't believe I'm a pastor now because, well, we remember what you used to do, Ray. We remember that. Yeah, but you need to know the new Ray. That old Ray died and got crucified on the cross. Jesus made me new, and now I'm new in Jesus Christ. April Fool's Day was the perfect day for me to start ministry. (laughs) Scripture says God confuses the wisdom through foolish things. So I'm going to be here, and I'm going to pronounce the Word of God. It's recorded. It's going to go on the radio and hopefully get out to people that think, and they're all wise, maybe God's Word will confuse them today out of their own logic into thinking, God's really got something for me here, okay? So let's go on through it in uh, Joshua 20. They're settled in the land of their inheritance, and so Joshua still has some commands to follow. Everybody's in place. 
But there's still some commands from Moses' time that they still have to implement. And I, I want to take you first uh, to show you Numbers 35 and 9. Here's the commands that Joshua has to put in place now that, he's, now that they're in the land. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge. For you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. They shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. And of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge. You shall appoint three cities on this side of the Jordan, and three cities you shall appoint in the land of Canaan, which will be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger, and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. Here now in Joshua 20, now that all the tribes are settled in, they have to establish these six cities of refuge in place, so that if anybody accidentally kills somebody, they can flee there. Why six? Why six cities? Show that map up there. These are the cities, the six cities of refuge that were spread around the land of Israel. And if you have six cities spread around like that, it makes it easy to get to for anybody. If you had one city stuck in the middle or say up at the top or way at the bottom, well, that makes it difficult on a lot of other people. You need easy access. You had to have a strategy of choices also, not just easy, quicker to get to, but a strategy of choices. Let's say you were going to go to the easiest one to get to, but the enemy knew you were going to try to get to the closest one. They would probably try to meet you on the road between you and the closest one. You've got other choices. You can go another route they won't expect to another city of refuge. So there's a lot of advantages to having six cities to ensure your safety in a variety of ways. So it's nice to have these uh, cities of refuge placed all around the land. So now we're in Joshua 20 in verse 1, where Joshua is going to implement this system of cities of refuge. It says, the Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying, appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. I had to think about these things like I do. I start thinking, why cities of refuge? We don't have that today. Cities of refuge. Why did they need cities of refuge? We have to understand the need for a refuge city based on the perspective of that time period. Back then, to do the work, they did everything by manpower. They didn't have cranes. They didn't have tractors and and things that we have now. So there was a lot of accidents back then. Accidents were very common. And there was no EMS. You couldn't call the ambulance that would be there lickety-split and haul you off to the hospital. I'm glad we have that today, but they didn't have that back then. People lived very remote places, very dangerous work. Accidents are going to happen. It's very common. And so you can see the need to implement a network of refuge cities. And not only the refuge cities, but you've got to have a way to get there. They have to have a road system. There's going to be road systems to get to these refuge cities to help you get there. Now, I I did a little study of historical uh, extra study, and I found out that these roads that led to all these refuge cities were in very, very good condition. 
They were kept in wonderful condition. I'm not talking your 288 North out here that's all torn up. Okay, <laughs> They kept them nice. They kept them really nice. And the reason for that is because they knew that if somebody needed to reach a refuge city, they needed to keep that road as easy and fast to travel on as possible. You got an avenger of blood on your tail. You don't have time for messy pothole roads. You need to get on and book it. You need to really move. And also, at the crossroads, intersections along these refuge roads, there were signs put up. And the signs would say, refuge, refuge. This is the way to refuge. You're going, you're going. You've never been in this part of the country before. You're on the road. I hope I'm going the right way. Oh, look, there's a sign. Refuge. All right, let's go. Let's keep going. The avenger of blood is on my tail. I accidentally killed this guy. I got to move. You can understand the need for the placement of the cities throughout the land, but also they needed good roads and good signs. You got to lay it out for people to help them get there. And not only were there signs, I found out some other fantastic information. There were also, they had runners that were stationed along the way. People who were placed in strategic locations along the road to help fugitives to get to these cities. There were people that were along the way that could help them get to these cities. So let's imagine if a fugitive had trouble with directions or travel, these runners would be there to help them because time is critical. They got to help them get to the refuge city. Now, I was, you know, just thinking when I, when I think about what I'm studying about, I can imagine there were probably times when an avenger of blood might have caught up to an offender and maybe they got into a fight. You, you killed my brother, but it was an accident. But they, he, he's so mad he's not listening. And he, they get into a fight and injures the offender. Now he's got a hurt leg or broken arm, whatever. Now he can't move like he used to. He's hurt. And so he's injured. He got away, but he'd still be trying to make it to refuge. Being injured makes it a lot harder to travel. And so these runners along the way were prepared for these kind of situations. And they were very helpful in helping get these people to safety, to get the offender to a refuge city. And so now we have an understanding of this well-designed national network of cities and roads, signs and runners, all these things put in place for those who needed refuge. Let's just hang on to that snapshot as we move along. Joshua 20 and 4. And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. So this is why it's important for them to get to the city of refuge because the, the, the runners know people need to get to the refuge. Everybody knows that you need your fair trial. Everybody needs a fair trial. You're running, the guy behind you, after you, he, he's out for vengeance and you need to get your fair trial. They understand that. So helping getting the, these people get there ensures justice, proper justice that can have its place. So imagine an offender comes to one of these six cities and I imagine if I always try to put myself in this in the position and I want to try to put you in there with me. You're running. You've got an avenger of blood on your tail. You finally see that city out there and you're booking it. You don't know if he's close behind you or far. You get up there. You're tired. You're you're maybe you're injured. You're sunburned. You're thirsty. All these things are going on that that causes distress 
because death is right behind you and you're, you're scared. You get to the gate and you plead to the authorities to hear your case and you say, please, please let me in. Please, please protect me. I want you getting into this picture with me, okay? Please help me. So the authorities would let him in and live there and hear his case. Now, the authorities at the time, they had a way of weighing out cases that was taken out from Old Testament law. And the Old Testament law makes a clear distinction on how to weigh this out. They could determine the difference between blunt murder and an unintentional accident. And I want to give you two examples so we can get an idea of how they did this. From Deuteronomy 19 and 5, it says, When a man goes to the woods with his neighbor to cut timber, and his hand swings a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, he shall flee to one of these cities and live. Okay, that's the accident. Numbers 35 and 16. But if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death, and if he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which one could die, and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. Or if he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon by which one could die, and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. So you can see they had Old Testament law that they used as the standard which would dictate how they're going to judge these cases. There's a whole lot more law than that. I just gave you a couple of opposite end uh, examples to help you understand how they did it. But justice is going to be served. Justice is going to be served. (laughs) So this guy makes it to the refuge city. He pleads, please let me in. Please protect me. They let him in and he gets a fair trial judged by the standard of the law. Now, Joshua 20 and 5 says, then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally, but did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house, to the city from which he fled. Okay, so if, you, if you're tried in court and you're found innocent, you have to stay in that city until the high priest dies. You're stuck there, if you want to be protected anyway, until the high priest dies. Now, I got to thinking about it. What if I approach this refuge city and the high priest is a really young guy? <laughs> I'm going to be here a while. <laughs> hey, but at least you're safe. At least you're not dead. The Avenger can't kill you. The Avenger cannot kill you. You're safe. So one of the reasons I got to thinking, why did they set the time limit upon the high priest's death? Why did they set it on the high priest? Well, they needed something to serve as a statute of limitations. So they put it on the high priest's lifespan. You know, today the statute of limitations is seven years, I believe. But back then, they based that statute on the high priest's life. Once the high priest died, that marked the end of the offender's separation. Keep that in mind. Some of you know which way I'm going with this. Joshua 20 and 7. So they appointed Kedesh in Galilee, in the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem, in the mountains of Ephraim, and Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountains of Judah. And on the other side of the Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness of the, on the plain, from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth, and Gilead, 
from the tribe of Gad and Golan and Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them that whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. Okay. Well, Joshua was Joshua 20 was pretty short, wasn't it? So thank you all for coming. Have a nice day. See you next week. Just kidding. We got more to do. There's a lot of application, even in this short little chapter. And if I don't explain and try to bring out the application, what's the point of reading it? If you ever read the Bible and not understood what you read, you better go back and read it again. (laughs) Find out what it means for you, and it'll get you excited. Like I always say, if the Bible does not excite you, you're not reading it. So let me give you uh, some application. It's got to mean something for us today. So let's go over that. Chapter 20 deals with offenses, death, protective refuge, and justice. And I did my very best to try to put you in the shoes of the offender. I wanted you to feel and sympathize what it was like for, to, to be an offender like this in such a desperate situation. I wanted you to, to understand that. The distress. Oh my gosh, I did something wrong. He's behind me. He's going to get me. Please let me in. Please let me in. I want you to feel that with me. The reason I work so hard to get you to feel like that is because we, you and I, we are that desperate offender. It's us. That's why I wanted you to get this feel in you. That's you and me in this story. Because we have all committed a very, very serious offense. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's your offense. And I'm no better. Nobody else is either. We've all blown it. We committed the offense. We are the offense that we offended God. We sinned, and it is very, very serious. The world isn't taking it serious anymore. We need to. Sin is very serious. But you might be thinking, well, Ray, I I thought this was about somebody that killed. This is about somebody that killed someone. Guess what? We did that too. James 1.15 When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth what? Death. Uh Uh-oh. I committed an offense that resulted in death. Can you see how we are that offender in this story? Friends, the slayer, the offender in this chapter, is you and me. It's us. Our sin has brought forth death, and it has provoked the avenger to great wrath. He's very angry about it. And he's so angry. That he's out for blood. And you know, it might surprise you to find out who this avenger is. Nahum 1 and 2. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. Hairs stand up on your neck yet? I sure hope you're thinking right now, but I don't want God to be mad at me. Oh, I hope you're thinking that. Because if you're not, you need to wake up to the fear of the Lord. I'm sorry, this is what sin has done. The question I want to ask is, does this scare you? Because I talked to a lot of people, yeah, I said the prayer, I'm saved, I'm fine. And they go out and they keep committing the offense over and over and over. They're not in distress. Oh, I don't care if anybody's behind me, so what? 
They love their sin. They're fine with it. They're not like this runner in the story. They don't feel like that at all. Does this scare you? Does it make you shake? It ought to. It ought to. Sin produces death and the avenger is out for blood. And knowing that the vengeful wrath of God is right behind you ought to scare you so bad that it drives you to fearfully and desperately run as fast as you can to look for refuge. Quickly, don't play around. This is where the good news comes in, though. (laughs) Ray, you're scaring me, man. Okay, it's going to get good. Just hang and bear with me. Proverbs 9 and 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't have a fear of the Lord for the sin that you've offended Him with, if you have no fear of the Lord, if you're watching the news and the social media and TV thinking, well, what used to be called sin, that's no big deal anymore. I can do it, no problem. If you don't have that fear, you're in big trouble. Big, massive trouble. Most people don't have a fear of the Lord, and they're not wise. They have their sin. They love it. They enjoy it. They have no regard for God's wrath. They have invented this false God that's not the God of the Bible that's just like, ah, do whatever you want to. I'm fine with it. I love you so much. Whatever you do, I'm going to take you no matter what. Well, if God was like that, he wouldn't have put this story in Joshua 20 of Refuge Cities for us to understand, wouldn't he? Okay, there's something to this for us. The slayer who fled had a fear, and it caused him to do a wise thing. It caused him to look for a refuge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But he fled. He he had to flee. That means he left where he was at. He didn't stay there. Are you all hearing me? He fled. The threat was so bad, he had to get up and leave everything behind. Wait a minute, I got a little project I got to do. Oh, wait a minute, I'm I'm working on this thing here. Oh, hang on, I got the Avengers going to come and get you if you don't get up and get out. He left in a hurry because he knew he was in trouble and he recognized the need I've got to get under refuge. You cannot get to refuge by sitting where you're at. You got to get up and go. Now, there's a word for this action of getting up and going, leaving where you are, and it's a word that most people hate to hear. It's the R word. It's the word repent. Get up, turn, and get out of here. No, no, I got this little sin I like. The Avenger's going to get you. That's the danger. Jesus said in Mark 1.15, he said, repent and believe in the gospel. Notice he said, repent first. He didn't say believe in the gospel and you can repent sometime later, maybe. He said, repent. You have to do this first and believe in the gospel. It, one comes before the other. In other words, he said, get out of your sin. Get out of where you've been hanging out. Leave. Go away and go believe in the gospel and get under refuge. If you will not forsake your sin, you will not and cannot believe in the gospel that saves. If you're willfully in what God's word calls sin and you won't leave it, you can't be saved. I'm sorry. This runner had to leave his place and run to find the refuge. He had to flee. He had to repent. He had to go. There's no way to be saved if you refuse to repent of your sin. Just like there's no way the offender can get under refuge if he will not flee from his city. The slayer had to flee town, get under refuge. You have to repent of your sins to get saved by Jesus. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. 
We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.